Hey guys, welcome to Coffee Fixation. It's been a while since the last episode, so we'll try to set up this today, this way. Looks all right. Uh, yeah, so welcome. Today we're hosting uh, David Train, so we're very excited to get another 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 guest in. Bruce Shark, hey, hey, mugs, coffee, jing, and all of the people joining in. Thank you for tuning in. It's good to see you all. It's been a while. It's been a few days. Uh, we're at the agency. We're trying to get back into a regular schedule, so we'll have to... Uh, try to work out the podcast and the episodes to come on how we're gonna make it happen um we're waiting on david david train so we'll hopefully he's online i sent him a message and uh we'll wait on him until he pops up and we'll have standard show lots of questions and you're able to ask of course question yourself and uh speaking of the man here he is let's bring him on Hi from Bangkok. Good to see you. Mr. David. How's it going, mate? Finally with me. <laughs> oh, sorry. I literally just got, just got in the house. Sorry about that. Can you hear that, me? Why? I can hear you fantastic. You look great. How are you doing? Spinning, spinning. I got you. How are you doing, my man? Yeah, really, really good, actually. Um, just came back from a nice little uh, holiday, which is really nice. Uh, how are you? <laughs> good. Um, unusual day. Obviously, with the reopening and everything, I had more of a normal day. I had a few meetings in the city and uh, sat down at a cafe. Big shout out to the boys from Vacation Coffee. We were there for coffee. And uh, um, yeah, normal, kind of. But yeah, I think we, we're going to have to reshape normal. Yeah, I, I was uh, also in, uh, had a quick few meetings as well, and uh, it was nice to drink an espresso in a in a cup uh, in a cafe, which was really really nice. And that was a really nice place called Karma and Crow here in uh, in Adelaide, so it was good. Very nice, very nice. Um, very well. First, first things first. Uh, how's things with COVID where you are and for you and your family? Everyone good? Um, yeah, actually, it's been obviously a, a strange scenario. And uh, my sort of my immediate family, we're all kind of all over the place in, in, in Australia, in Scotland, in Ireland, in London. Um, so we're kind of used to being separated. Um, so that hasn't been too too hard in, in, in sort of that aspect. Um, obviously, not being able to go see each other has, has been a bit of a pain. But, I mean, we're all healthy. We're all still luckily employed. Um, so, I, yeah, my, my family's as, as, as good as, you know, can be expected, um, which is nice. Well, that's, that's the number one opinion. So, um, fantastic to hear that. Um, now, I... I think you've seen a few episodes. You know already what's expecting on your way. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, shoot, go ahead. We can talk about whatever you want. How did you start your coffee journey? <laughs> How did I start my coffee journey? Um, well, back when I started, coffee really wasn't a career. Um, definitely not like today. So I started in Sydney in 2006. Um, 
my father decided for his midlife crisis to buy a cafe in St. Ives uh, in Sydney and had no idea how to run it. I just finished high school. I was about to join the military um, and kind of just helped him washing dishes. And then after a while, you know, it's cliche, you know, waiter, running tables, learn how to make coffee. Uh, and then was two years after that, kind of he sold it. And I was like, shit, what do I do? And then it's kind of been in, been in it ever since. You stuck with it. And I, I suppose that, you know, starting from there, it gave you, it gave you a great perspective. You know, like you said, midlife crisis. I mean, I think lots of people, lots of people open cafes for that. And, and instead that was your career launch, which is fantastic. And could you kindly give the audience and people going to rewatch this a summary of all the competition you took part and coffee jobs and projects that are relevant that you've been involved in? A few. Well, the ones uh, that you want. You pick your favorites. Well, yeah, I guess, with, like, as my dad said, actually, the one good thing about his cafe was it kind of gave me a career. Uh, as he figured out, it was a, you know, it's really hard work owning a cafe. Um, so, yeah, I was baristering in Sydney for a few years, moved to London, was baristering again, um, was a cocktail bartender for a few years in London. Um, and then in 20, uh, 2013, moved to Germany. Um, got a job at a really small roaster in the middle of nowhere in Germany. Um, and that was kind of because I'd already been, I don't know, I had this uh, Australian barista skill. Um, and in Europe, in, in, in 2000, this is 2009 to 2013. So in Europe, the coffee scene was definitely nothing like it is now. Um, and then from there was a, a training manager for a roaster in the UK and then was sort of a head barista manager at, um, Man versus Machine in Munich and then in 2017 decided to come home um, flew to Melbourne uh, had a job interview with Code Black got the job um, stayed there for two years and then for the past 15-16 months I've, I've been working as a coffee importer um, and my competition sort of career I guess you would say started really um just before leaving munich i did like a barista jam thing it was a, quite a fun thing it was like a like a coffee making competition yeah um like make eight lattes in, in 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 10 minutes or whatever it was um and then i started actual i guess uh, proper uh competition um end of uh set uh, end of 2017 um in the brewers cup and then have been doing Brewers Cup uh, ever since. So this is technically, I guess, my third year of competing. Wow, that's 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 a fair bit of competition. Then don't be shy. You won the latest twenty twenty uh, Brewers region. Uh, southern Southern region. Uh, so I, I, the first time I competed, I came third. The second time I competed, I came second. And the, the last time I competed, I came first in the in the in the Southern region. Uh, which was really really nice. Uh, um, so yeah, it was uh, it was surprised and it's a lot of hard work. But um, yeah, obviously nationals uh, hasn't happened or won't happen or hasn't happened yet. Hasn't happened yet. So yeah. Uh, so I, I, I'd be happy if if competition stopped right now. Actually, with uh, what I what I achieved. <laughs> uh, That's good. And 
There was actually someone that asked a question into my stories, um, and I was trying to bring it up, but the story disappeared, so therefore it's gone. So I can't remember the username, but someone asked, what motivated you to move on from Black? Which is a very interesting question. Yeah. Now that you mentioned it. Um, I, the first time I ever saw unroasted coffee, so green coffee, um, I was instantly fascinated with, with that product. Um, and at this stage I'd been making coffee and this is probably going to hurt a few people's feelings, but I've been making coffee for many years and I'd making coffee was never really my passion. I really cared about the people I was working with or, or, or my customers or whatever. Um, and then when I knew that there was this complete other side of, of, of coffee, um, you know, this whole unwrote, you know, this whole green coffee world, which existed obviously overseas, etc. Um, I knew that I really wanted to kind of, um, pursue the path in, in green. Um, and when the role with Langdon's came up, I, I applied for the job and, you know, um, I, I, I'd done a fair bit of, um, I'd done my, some, it's not very common in Australia, but my SEAE or SEA uh, green bean and, and uh, sensory analysis um, training modules and um, some organic acid classes, etc. So a lot of things that were geared more towards, um, sensory and green grading, et cetera. Um, so my, my fascination had always been to kind of work in that field or, or in the field I'm in now. Um, gotcha. Which it, it caters perfectly for the next question, which is, you know, we all love coffee. Uh, you know, it's delicious, but it wouldn't be possible without the people and the community around it. So, you know, from origin to roasters, that's probably your, your chapter, but also from barista to consumers, uh, I think that we often forget this element, and I think that the pandemic has woke up a little bit of people on, hey, we've forgotten about the people. Uh, could this element combine with the overall experience, you know, across the chain, become an element to save the industry? I mean, I'd hope so. Um, I, you know, people people always say, like, they're, they're in this industry for people, like, you have to be... Um, and I've always cared infinitely more about the people I was uh, I was either serving coffee to. Like, I obviously wanted to give them the best beverage that I could possibly give, but I cared more about who they were, what they were doing, how their day was, how their wife and kids were, et cetera. Um, and then same with my role now is I care infinitely more about either the people that I'm, I'm helping um, supply coffee to or the people that we're buying coffee from. And I, I'm, I'm thinking what's happening right now will just kind of showcase people that the, the, the supply chain is, is massive and what affects, you know, your local cafe affects a coffee picker in Colombia. Um, so I, I, I hope the outcome of all this will be more awareness into just the whole supply chain and, and how it all affects each other. And help, help the people watching and who are going to watch again or listen to the podcast. What, what exactly do you do and what do you love about what you do? Uh, Essentially, I, I help uh, coffee roasters find green coffee. Um, you know, I, I, I sell to roasters kind of all over Australia um, and help facilitate, you know, their, their needs, I guess, their wants or, their, or whatever they're looking for. Um, and generally what I, what I love about it is I, I supply a really broad uh, range of roasters with wildly different philosophies. Um, and it's, 
it's actually really humbling to meet all these people who have such different opinions on coffee um, and to and I get to sort of learn their approach and, and to why they do it um, and and when you work for a roaster you can get a little pigeonholed in your opinion on coffee and what's good coffee and what's bad coffee etc and kind of when you work in green and you're dealing with so many different roasters and um, and you know they buy coffee from other importers and they have great coffee as well you end up I think getting more of a, an appreciation for just, um, all, you know, sort of all approaches and, and all, all theories and, and, and all styles in terms of roasting and buying. So it's, um, that's actually been something that I've really, really enjoyed. And is it, I'm assuming, it's almost, you know, the green is kind of your baby, right? Um, uh, has it happened to you? Like, is it difficult sometimes where uh, you're known as, like, is it difficult, has it ever happened perhaps where you weren't necessarily happy with, like, how does it work in terms of quality control? Like, like... Yeah, so we, um, we have uh, an amazing uh, girl called Bo who runs our actual quality control lab. Um, so obviously we get sent samples from, from, from exporters or producers or, you know, we, we get them ourselves um, and we'll obviously cut them. Um, we, we, we grade them, you know, out of a hundred, give them a score accordingly. Uh, and obviously we'll say yes or no, essentially to, to these coffees. Um, and then when those coffees are then commercially milled, we'll be sent what's called a PSS or so another sample. Um, and it's kind of like another, another way that we can either continue to purchase these coffees or maybe something's gone wrong and we might not be able to take them and then once again when they land we then take a landed sample and do the whole thing again um and not it doesn't always land uh the way you want it to um, of course and then we have to we we have to deal with it we we once that coffee's left that country that's our problem yeah i suppose what i was trying to say is it's like you're providing an ingredient to the cook to the chef but the chef can still stuff up the ingredient like how like is it is it difficult on a personal level? Like that's just this pure curiosity. It's not part of the questions. It's more like um, and you know you don't have to answer it, but like do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I do. There, I mean, there are some some of the roasters that I that I know of or whatever. I, I maybe don't necessarily agree with their um, their roasting style, or their approach, but I'm not their customer. Um, you know, cool. they have people that love what they do. Um, and it's just maybe not, I mean, there's always a preference. And even when I worked for roasters and we would buy coffees and roast them, not every single coffee was something that I personally enjoyed. They were good coffees, you know, uh, roasted as good as they could be, but they weren't necessarily for me. And I, I guess I don't actually feel too protective of the green because we don't grow it. You know, we're not the producer. We don't pick it. We don't mill it. We don't, you know, we don't put it on the container. So it's not, it's not our coffee. Uh, that paints it. Yeah. That, that, that right there, it makes, it makes a lot of sense for people who are going to watch because I, I think without thinking you're the first uh, green bean person on the show, like we had farmers, we had, you know, like Joseph and all of them, but in terms of plainly being in between. So I think this is a relevant question for people to learn what you do and how you do and what's the process behind coffee, which is coffee, uh, we give it for granted, but it's safe to say that it's underpriced and it's probably something that you are on the front, on the front line as far as you can literally witness this on a daily basis. Do you think, or at least give you the answer, 
other question that I've asked other people. Do you think that coffee should be treated more on a price level as beer and wine? Oh, 100%. Um, but it's a, it's, a vicious, it's a vicious cycle that's got so many complex layers. Um, you know, if, if we start charging cafes, you know, if I'm a roaster, et cetera, if, I start, if we start making – sorry, if cafes start charging uh, customers, you know, 5 or $6 for a latte, which, which they should um, – how do we translate that that extra cost, you know, gets back to the people that are doing the hard work? Um, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's such a broad, multi-layered industry um, where I, I do believe we should be treating it. And, 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 you know, there are coffees out there that are treated this way, um, but they, they count for, you know, one to 2% of all of the coffee out there. Um, so having that appreciation, I think would be great, but it's like, how do we start it? And, and, and who benefits from it. Yeah. And it's such a sensitive topic, isn't it? Because it's like... I think, I think this control within the cafe... Sorry, I can hear the echo. All right. Um, I think this control within the cafe in terms of the experience. If you charge more, you can provide a higher level of experience. I have this conversation with a guy that I had a meeting with today. Um, and if the experience is a higher, like a fine dining experience... You're, you know, the consumer justify the cost, yep. but how can you improve the experience between origin and roaster is the question to justify a higher cost because it's all about quality. What yeah. part, what do you think? Is, do you have any idea in terms of what could it be the experience to be better? Because this is, I'm shooting the dark here because yeah. I never bought a single kilo of green beans. <laughs> um. Well, it's asking, I guess, your, your importer um, or the producer or whoever you're buying the coffee from just more about it and, and trying to understand their, their product. You know, it is their product, not the, not the importer, sorry, but the producer, et cetera, and trying to understand, you know, how do you want to represent it? You know, if you're a roaster, you know, understanding that connection between, you know, you are translating their product for a consumer. You know, you're the voice to their product. Um, and if you can maybe, if you have that option or the, or the, um, the capability to communicate with them or to, to, to people like myself, et cetera, to understand more about the product, um, to give it the appreciation that it, that it does deserve. Um, mm. Not all coffees are easy to access this information, you know, very large uh, kind of commercial grade coffees that are, you know, from, from huge areas of, of, of different countries, you know, you can't find that kind of level of information, but you know, a lot of the coffees that we do buy in Australia are, are really well-grown, ethically traded, etc. So trying to, you know, find the right questions and the right answers to, to give your end consumer as a roaster or a cafe, you know, a, a better appreciation for that product. And, yeah, and I think there's a few roasters that do justice to that as far as tasting cards and showcasing, even putting out there what they paid for the coffee. And I think it can work. Um, it's just not enough at the moment, I suppose. What we have back in my country, for instance, for certain industries, we got capped. Uh, we got capped prices and capped industry-regulated pricing and rules. For instance, within the same amount of square meters, you can't have more than three pizza shops. You know, so then if your pizza shop number four, you gotta wait until one of the three shut the business or you got to move to another location. Would you say that perhaps 
if the industry was regulated as far as pricing goes for between Rosta and Cafe could be, you know, and not one price, it would be a range from XYZ all the way to ABC, but at least then the cafe owner would have to be charged a little bit more already for it. I think, I think it, would be, it would be a fantastic idea. Um, but the issue, I guess, is that people were still trying to be capitalizing on, on, on making money. Um, and someone will be there in the middle. Um, and it happens in every industry. There are people that are always trying to, and there's nothing wrong with making money. It's, you know, it's the way the world works. Um, but there, there will be people probably trying to manipulate that. Um, and, and, you know, if we could try and... So if you have, um, like, the FNC in Colombia, you know, they try and regulate the cost of, of Colombian coffee. Um, but the cost of, you know, coffee is based off the Brazilian market, or, you know, production. So yeah. we can't really control that kind of cost. So for us as an importer or importers, we can say, you know, coffee is always going to be this price for this quality, if we can somehow agree. Um, we can't necessarily get that insurance from you know the countries that we're buying coffee from so if we can have roasters coming together <laughs> they can all sit around a round table and have a conversation about maybe um and i know some roasters do have these conversations together about you know maybe their client base and what they want to charge etc um but yeah i think it'd be a great idea as long as no one um ruins it yeah and big shout out to nico Nicola Nasso, I think you and I know both these gentlemen, Nick. Mm. Um, <laughs> Nick. Yes. Um, good to see you here, Nick. Um, yeah, I think it would be interesting because in my time working for a cafe roaster, I've seen especially uh, great coffee going from $16 plus equipment plus cash contribution all the way to $42 a kilo, no chance to negotiate. That's a huge gap. That's a very big gap. Um, <laughs> this is in Melbourne. We're not talking about weird places in the world. The, 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 the so-called coffee capital. Roasted wholesale in Melbourne is a very competitive um, market where but, roasters are willing to, to give whatever they want to give or whatever they can afford to give. Um, it's, I'm kind of happy I'm not in that boat. Uh, yeah, but wouldn't then the idea that certain countries have with around different products, like in Italy, like I mentioned, for Nick, who just tuned in, there's some industries where certain products are capped price. There's a minimum, there's a maximum. You can't go. Wouldn't that push roasters to then improve their quality, improve their packaging, improve their service? Because yeah. all of a sudden it's like, Shit, I got, you know, this, I, I got no longer that average of throwing the sink and really reduce that price. And then having all of that shamozzle, it's like, oh, I got I to gotta cook better. I got I to gotta improve my service. I got to really look after my customers. And then the people doing a good job are going to shine. I think it would be, I would, I would absolutely love for something like this to happen in our country to be able to have some sort of, regulation in terms of costing and pricing and, and, and it, it keeps a, you know, a competitive market for everyone and therefore you are buying the, the, the product based on quality 
and not on what I've been promised. Um, and it's kind of, I guess, uh, on my side of the fence um, of an importer is, you know, roasters are buying a, a product for a certain level of quality and price, etc. And that's fantastic. You know, if they if they have a different coffee from a different importer that is a better quality, then you know, I, fantastic. You know, I can't do anything about that. Um, if if roasters could get a chance to just focus on that as that aspect instead of obviously giving them the the kitchen sink, as you said, uh, <laughs> I think it would make um, make them all maybe slightly um, more quality driven. Which brings me to the other side of the fence, which is there should be also a regulation around how many cafes per street, per square, per like. I think that would then go hand in hand because the reason why we got to the point of having such stupidly low coffee prices where I spoke about it with Alberto from Tostato in Italy and he was telling me what he pay, what, what Italian cafes pay for commercial coffee. And I'm like, that's like double than some prices I've seen for specialty coffee in Australia. It's crazy. It's because it's so competitive and there's so many other coffee shops then, uh, you know, I'm forced as the new kid on the block to just really cut down my costs. So then I'm going to go with you who's going to give me the famous kitchen sink. So I think it's very unregulated, surprisingly. Yes, I am. Um, you know, the, the, the cafe industry in Australia is pretty, pretty flooded. You know, it is, there are so many coffee shops um, and, and it's not, it's not, it's not a, coffee industry issue it's it's a, a, a an industry issue that i've faced in, in in all the countries i've lived and worked in it's it's you know i, I don't want to badmouth people but it's people that have let's say an, an office job that see cafes busy all the time they're like oh i want to open a coffee shop and they have a bit of money they open a coffee shop they've never worked in a coffee shop um and they have one and they've opened up next to another one, which is quite successful. And that takes a few kilos a week, et cetera, away from someone else. And then someone else sees, oh, there's now two cafes, you know, here. I'm going to open up another one. And it, it has unfortunately bred this vicious cycle of. Um, it does say that we, then we have this vicious cycle of so many cafes and then obviously how do we cut costs you know how do i make my cafe more profitable how do i make my roastery more profitable um yeah it has been a a pretty crazy trend here uh, yeah. in australia and look australia, i said oversaturated yes 100 percent. and look i'm going i'm going to drop a heavy bomb and if people don't like it then they can just tune away that's not a problem I also think that a large percentage of those players who thought diversifying or listening to a broker selling the dream to have your own cafe, you know, what you just said, I think a lot of those people, because of the reason why that, the reason, not, something that nobody talks about, COVID-19 will make shut businesses and I agree that it's also because of the virus. But I also think the following. I think it's a great way to walk out. Why? On a human level, if I tell my parents, hey, I just left my six digits figure income, I'm going to open a cafe, and they are against it, 
or my wife or my friends. And for months and years, I struggle. And I just keep getting, you know, credits, loans, and try really to make it work and just stay above the water. A lot of those businesses that didn't shut down because of fear of judgment, because of their own insecurity, because they didn't want to look as a failure and get someone told them, I told you, you couldn't open up a cafe. When COVID instead kicks in, I'm not saying it's a ticket, it's an exit ticket, but some of those people, it will be an exit ticket because then they're going to feel sorry for me that I got hit by a pandemic. And yet I was just doing five, six, seven, eight, nine, twelve kilos of coffee and the business wasn't viable in the first place. I think, I think you're, you, I, I agree. Um, I mean, and there's no shame in, in, in not having a successful cafe. I mean, there's unfortunately hundreds of them in, in, in the country. Um, it's not for everyone and not every cafe can be successful. You know, not every pizza shop will be successful, not every bar or, you know, it's just unfortunately not going to happen. Um, and there's no, you know, my father had one. He did okay. I think he sold it at a, at a very small profit. Um, he would never do it again. <laughs> and I've never, I haven't opened a cafe. I, I haven't said I won't, but I haven't opened one in, in uh, 13 years because I, I understood how hard it was or is to run. So. And going back on regulation and then, you know, we can move on. But it's like, I could not become a commercial electrician, plumber, dentist, doctor from tomorrow. There is a process, there is a license, there is, there is, there is a process that at least they're going to teach you the basics of like, okay, I'm going to be able to do A, B, C, and D, then I'll build up my experience. So I've seen too many shops with the job that I used to do where it was a Cairo, an accountant, a banker, insurer, you name it. But it's like if I open up a pizza shop, I have no idea. I have experience in hospitality and I still think that people who don't know how to make the core product of a restaurant or a cafe shouldn't open it because how can you run it if you don't know how to cook or how to make coffee? It's almost a guarantee that you're setting up yourself for troubles because guess what? Even if you have 10 years experience, you can still fail. But if you go, I, I, yeah, right. I, if you no, go zero, yeah. fuck. I couldn't agree more. I, like if I've said this many times over the years with people that I've met. Um, stay in your job, buy a GS3 or a Linear Mini and an EK43 and make fantastic coffee at home. Um, or if we, ha if we could just have some form of traineeship. Um, I have an amazing friend of mine, Vu, who works in Melbourne, who left his IT engineering job, really wanted to open a cafe, but really, really wanted to learn the ins and outs. And he, he left his job in Brisbane, moved to Melbourne, um, and he's still trying to learn everything, and he's been doing it for four years now. So when he does open his own place, he will hopefully have a foundation to make it successful. Um, and if we could have that regular, I would, it would be the greatest uh, thing in the world. And, and before we read Barista Shane, which is tied it all up, I mean, going back on the plumbers and the tradies, you go your apprenticeship, you know, go and work in a cafe and try. I mean, Colin Hammond's story, I think it's perfect for the people who know that, you know, it's like he dedicated a whole year to learn about coffee and then he gave it a shot, starting small. And uh, for people who are going to listen to the podcast, they can read the comments. Barista Shane is saying, 
if you want to open a McDonald's franchise, the owner needs to have been a manager for a number of years. Even that, it's regulated. There you go. Um, yeah. McDonald's just is need... I worked there for five years as a teenager. I think it was Yeah, at least there you go. Um, we hit the halfway mark. Hopefully you're prepared for this question because you've seen some of this. Out of the box question, if you could, who would you like to have dinner with? Who would I like to have dinner with? Um, to, oh, probably, for me, if, oh, right now, I'd love to have dinner with my old man because I'd love to see him. Um, it's been a few months. Um, he's not going to watch this. It's all right. Uh, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a massive... Uh, I'm a massive Tottenham Hotspur fan uh, in English Premier League in English football. So um, probably Harry Kane, who's the uh, England captain, um, just because I'd be a bit of a bit of a fanboy. Um, you know, yeah. There's, there's, prob there's probably probably him. That's cool. I didn't know you were for Tottenham. That's uh, Tottenham brings me bad memories for my <laughs> soccer team, but that's okay. Tottenham brings um, me bad memories because uh, I've been supporting them my whole life and we were really bad and then we got really good and then uh, kind of failed a little bit. So it's been uh, yeah. a roller But you have a good, a good track history with Inter Milan, which is okay. Yes, it is actually. It's been uh, <laughs> um, a track history. So far, actually, uh, a great answer was from Hugh Kelly, actually. He surprised me. He said, it's easy. I want to have dinner with you, Mia. I was like, oh, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> He's, um, he, he is like the most charming man that you'll ever meet. So he's. You gotta get the charm to win the Barista Championship, too. Hey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Now, I still think it's relevant to <laughs> dinner with Harrison, Nicola Nasser. Well, <laughs> well, he's now from, you know, from Spurs to Inter Milan. So there you go. Um, now, I still think it's relevant with regulation, what we're just talking about. I still think that we shouldn't deter people who are really passionate about coffee to follow coffee as a career. You know, what we were talking about was more in terms of regulation and be smart about it so that the industry will gain out of it rather than losing out of it and not having a perceptual market and more successful business stories. Now, what would you tell to people who are stuck in that good job or they're studying a uni they're studying you know marketing degree but they found themselves on a part-time casual job into coffee and they decide like shit i really like this what's the best approach to say F it. i'm not gonna listen to anybody else what they're gonna tell me i'm just gonna go for it and i'm just going to be just doing coffee for the rest of my life what, yeah. what, what's the trick Listen to everyone, but make your own opinion. Um, there's a lot of strong opinions in coffee. Um, some I agree with, some I don't. But I, I mean, I was quite lucky. I, I have been in the industry for 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 a while, and I've I've met a lot of very influential people. And um, you know, I've I've always tried to kind of take as much information as I can from. And today we have such a good resource for it. And and listen to what they all have to say and see if it's applicable to what I'm doing. So is this 
feasible or can I do this in my cafe? You know, there's a lot of coffee shops that have a little bit more time to do certain things. It may not be feasible if you're in a high volume thing like that. Um, and then also like, don't be afraid to, don't be afraid to, to make mistakes. It's, it's a cliche, but you know, the only way you learn is by, by doing. So if you haven't tried and you haven't failed, then you're not necessarily going to get a chance to learn and, and taste as much coffee <laughs> as you possibly can. Um, <laughs> to understand and, and, I, and I mean like literally every day in your cafe to understand how it interacts, etc. cetera. Um, and, and then if you really want to make it a career, find out about the industry, what it is you like, you know, you don't have to be a cafe owner or a barista. You can be a sales rep for a roaster. You could be, you could create um, takeaway cups. You could be a machine tech. You could do food photography. There's a, a massive, spectrum and a lot of people go i want to be a barista i want to be a roaster i want to be a green buyer maybe you don't want to pull a thousand coffees a day you don't want to do a production roasting facility where you're roasting a ton a day like it's not for everyone you need to understand what it is in the industry you like you love and focus your energy on that um, thank you <laughs> i i i if you, you follow a few of my episodes, I've been trying to scream that the spectrum is wide. It's about identify that passion of yours and combine it. Where is making martinis with error presses whilst you're doing DJ set because you love music and coffee and goes super weird. It's like, and, and I always make soccer as a good example, football, but you know, they call it soccer here. We, we it's like, football. I know, but they call it soccer. Hey, it's like it's like people think, oh, my passion is soccer. I gotta become the next Harry Kane. I gotta become the next Messi, Ronaldo. No, you can be commentator. You can be the speaker at the stadium. Then when your team scores, you can just cheer and do whatever you gotta do. You can sell T-shirts. You can sell jerseys. You can be a blogger. Four for two on Instagram pop, and now they interview crazy people. You can start a podcast. You can start a YouTube channel. Like like. It's so vast, the things that you can do. As long as you remember that passion at core is your basis, rather than focusing on money. Oh, well, but if I roast and have a shop, I'm going to make more money. But if you're going to hate making 100 coffees a day, an hour, whatever, then what, what's the point of waking up and go, oh, I got I to gotta make all these coffees? But, uh, yeah, that's the thing is that – it takes a while. Like it took me maybe five or six years of actually being in the industry to really understand what I wanted to do. Like I was traveling through Europe. I knew how to make coffee. I was okay at it. Like it wasn't necessarily like a, a oh, I want to do this career. It wasn't literally until I really spent time with, with green coffee that really, you know, sort of piqued my interest in that's what I want to focus on. But you know, uh, if you are a very creative person, you know, there's, you know, you can do bag designs for, for coffee roasters or labeling, you know, digital, like you could, your niche could be graphic designing for coffee roasters. So you're right. Like the spectrum is not just, I need to own a cafe or a roastery. It's, you know, I could be, uh, you know, there's not enough of in Australia roasting techs. It is so hard if you have an issue with your roaster 
to get someone to help you or fix you, um, you know, learn, learn that, you know, if you're, if you're very good with your hands, you know, I'm not, I'm pretty shit with that kind of stuff, but you know, someone could capitalize on that really well. Thousand percent. I, I, I was speaking to, well, I mean, we're not going to, well, fuck it. I was speaking to, to Aaron from uh, Wood & Co. Big shout out to Aaron. Love, love what he does in, in Brunswick. And, and, you know, he has that one person that can fix the one problem with his versatile. Like, it, like you said, it's, it, it's not easy. And I think it's extremely important to just have an understanding of what you really like, what you really enjoy, where is the people, where is greens, where is origin. And that's a good starting point. And like you said, I think it's crucial to taste, taste, taste. But tasting is not just coffee. Taste what it means to work double shifts. Taste what it means to stay in front of a sample roadster all day. Taste what it means to go to origin and be on the back of a horse rather than a comfortable private jet. Like, taste the dirt of being a sales rep on the road. It's, it's difficult. Taste the parts of that passion that you like, and then you can narrow it down, navigate that channel, and at your job interview, unless it's your own business, that will pop out. Like, it will explode. The person in front of you are like, wow, this guy loves fixing roasters, designing bags. I want to work with this person. thousand percent. Yeah, of course. I mean, but they, you know, they, they tried or they looked for it. You know, it's not a, a simple answer. Like, I didn't think 12, 13 years ago, or whatever, that I would be, still doing this at all. I, I was going to join the army and be a soldier. Um, I'm glad I'm not, but... Um, Gosh, you would have drunk lots of instant coffee if you did. Yes. Um, <laughs> a lot of really bad coffee. Um, I've still drunk a lot of bad coffee in my life, but uh, not a lot of instant. Um, yeah, so I think, like, if they... God, give it a go, but figure out what it is you want to give it a go at. Yeah. And look, usually at this stage I ask, what's your passion? I think your passion is quite pinpointed in terms of people, greens, and what you do. Um, I suppose without putting you on the spot, but let's think macro. I like macro. You know, let's play for a minute. What would be the most ideal for yourself in your, in your sphere in terms of like your, your own personal coffee mission, your own personal career development and uh, the biggest dream within coffee? Uh, biggest dream within coffee um, would be to to really help, I guess, some of our, um, our neighbouring countries get a little bit more recognition for their coffee production. So, I mean, it's, it's very difficult in terms of political scales in Indonesia and, and Papua New Guinea. But um, I guess my, my dream would be able to have some sort of, outlet where I could maybe help, you know, sort of promote these coffees here in Australia or whatnot, or, um, you know, any kind of coffee person's dream, maybe one day to have a farm. Um, not as a, to be a full-time farmer, but maybe as, you know, a, a hobby farm, if, if, if I ever get into the position where that's possible. Um, and that's, kind of, I guess that would be the dream. Um, whether or not it's a it's a reality, I, I don't know. Um, but I would, I would love to see that happen. Um, well, uh, I think I got encouraging words for you in terms of Indonesia, especially because um, I one of the one of the people who views regularly these episodes, uh, Bianca. She's only sixteen and she roasted 
two amazing uh, Indonesian single origin. Uh, one, I remember the name one, Gallo. And uh, for someone who's 16, roasting that on an espresso profile and I made it into a filter uh, with, with the AeroPress, it was delicious. Um, so I think that I got asked a question today from a, well, a business meeting that I had, and it was like, what do you think millennials are going to bring uh, to the industry? Because, you know, we have such a stereotype of looking down at young people, but I'm really opposite to that. I think millennials will bring some freshness, some ideas, like the industry's been stagnating in terms of even, you know, they might start competing at a younger age, start roasting at a younger age, start slinging lattes at a younger age. Let's just look at the evolution of latte art, for instance. But oh. I think that hopefully this new wave of people will help that mission too, get more involved. I mean, Indonesia is the biggest country that follows this page. It just tells how much they love the coffee. Well, I think the, the, I mean, the, the Asian market in general is, is, is extremely yeah. fascinating. Um, I mean, if I was a semi-successful roaster here in Australia, my focus would not be here. It would be Asia because um, there's billions of people um, and a burgeoning economy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that the younger generations are definitely the ones that are going to keep us on our toes. Um, and, 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 and just, I, I saw um, someone tuning in, Josh, he's a, oh, don't, he's about 19 now. He, he has been roasting for four or five years already. Um, Big shout out. Yeah, he's got, you know, four or five years of, of experience. Um, and he's 19 years old. Uh, so it's incredible. There's, they're definitely going to you know, give us a good swift kick up the ass, but they also care about things that people that are in all, other generations didn't care about. So they're, you know, they are going to probably push us in a, in, a, in a really good direction. Yeah, and I think that's combined with what you said. And, you know, we, 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 I think we give for granted where we are, where we live, where we can literally be so picky on where we drink coffee, especially in Melbourne. Uh, and Sydney, but you know all these people. The eyes are on us, so I think you're right. Rosa should also put focus on Asia in terms of even, you know, e-commerce is going to be huge in the next eighteen to thirty-six months due to people got used now to change their behavior. Right? I've said this many times on on, on the streams. Um, so I think people will look at what kind of coffee to buy. And I think, yeah, Australian versus should put focus on their e-commerce as well to target those Asian countries because they're going to be looking at, okay, what does a Melbourne coffee roaster taste like? I mean, let's look at Gardelli, for example. I was talking to Rubens, and 95% of his customers are outside of Italy. Yeah, I mean, Rubens' coffees are on a next level for, you know, his coffees are, are amazing, and, and I think... I have been to Italy and I understand the culture there. He just wouldn't be able to, you know, wholesale that the way that he can. But he's so smart with it that he has, you know, he's Correct. capitalizing on everyone Correct. else. Correct. He's capitalizing on his passion, which we go back to where we were, 100%. I think it's a fantastic job. Um, speaking yeah, of which, in terms of coffee. Good grocer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and... And a good guy. He got me on to watch The Last Dance, actually, on Netflix. Good show. Um, but, which it gets to, the, to, the, to one of the toughest questions. What would you like to see in the future of coffee? Oof, what would I like to see? Um, if, I, if I could, uh, and, I, 
and I don't know how, I'd really like to see us kind of try and get away from the instant coffee market because the instant coffee market still contributes to around about 50% of all coffee sales within Australia, um, 80% within the United Kingdom. Um, and it's these kind of massive industrial companies that are trading in futures and sea market and stuff and, and really having a big input in, into the cost of coffee. So if we could somehow try to get the Australian mindset away from it, you know, as, as much as we can, um, it will hopefully elevate um, the coffee that we're buying in Australia. You know, it won't fix the world's issue, but it will hopefully fix um, uh, some of the issues that we, that we face here in Australia. Um, but, I mean, I'd also like to see... Um, Rose does not offer the kitchen sink to everyone. <laughs> well, I think, I think we're going to see more. I think we're going to see first people dropping instant coffee than what you just said, unfortunately. Um, just until there's some regulation, you know, that's, that's going to happen. Um, unfortunately, of course, but I hope for both of them to be coming to the party, uh, the things that you just said. I think the instant coffee is an interesting one because obviously we all have seen different coffee brands around the world, especially Australia and New Zealand, without drop names, uh, trying to do specialty great instant coffee or tea bag like, um, which is interesting. Um, I think the power goes back to the experience. Um, you know, how funny is this with wine? We all, in Australia, not as much, but when it's cork, we all smell the cork once we open the bottle, isn't it? Because we learned that through the experience. Yeah. So we still missed a couple of links on when people make the instant coffee to miss the experience that they get from M&A, AeroPress, or something else. So I think experience, price, and overall quality will, will, will help. Um, and we got a question from Barista Shane. Thanks for the question, Shane. Does that mean relationship instant coffee need to come into the spotlight? Yeah, I mean, I would agree. Like have, that some of the, you know, especially roasters that are doing instant, they're, they're doing the best job they can, but to produce instant is extremely expensive. Mm -hmm. So until we can maybe catch up in technology or, or cost wise, people will still go buy the Nescafe or the Chemco or whatever from the shop because, you know, uh, depending on who you buy it from, those instant sachets cost anywhere from sort of two to four dollars for one instant coffee where I could go to a cafe. Um, or I can buy two to four dollars for a tin of instant coffee from from your supermarket. Um, so when we can catch up on the, on the cost way and, 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 and people can bulk batch make it um, effectively, cost-effectively, and kind of transition that away. I think the relationship instant coffee would be fantastic, but I think we're just probably a few years away from being able to achieve that. Yeah, I like, I like that answer that you just gave about uh, just before when I asked you what you like to see in coffee because nobody has mentioned instant in 36 or 37 episodes, and I think it's very relevant. I think back home, I mean, look, it's – pre-ground and it's horrible and it's into a mocha pot but we i never seen what well, you know like your, your staple instant coffee in australia something i've experienced only here um even though we have it back home too but 
I like that. I we didn't talk about instant in so many times, and I think it's relevant. And I think that the online world can cater for that. And I think that in a weird way, without getting bashed by the audience, even the big big guys who are the commercial, the big chains doing barista like coffee, at least they're kind of drawing what coffee should be and they got the power, advertising power to go and say, hey, this is what coffee should taste like. Then there's a whole issues around the fact that they charge a dollar and doing this and that. I get that, but I think that's also good. Looking at the glass are full, the big guys to promote barista-made coffee. Well, they have so the, then, they, as you said, they have the the challenge in the market and the platform to, to promote that. Um, and, we, you know, we're, we're lucky enough here that, that most people kind of appreciate that. You know, my old man loves the latte. Like, whenever I see him, you know, we'll go to a really awesome coffee shop, whatever. But he's on the road a lot for work. And he'll, unfortunately, still get a 7-Eleven, you know, $1, $2 coffee. Um, so th there is the appreciation, but they, you know, the bigger ones, they definitely have the, the power to change it. Or there could be room for people listening or for someone out there in the world to create something that hasn't been created to facilitate a, a, a new way to brew, a new way to produce a cup of coffee that it's going to be viable for people on the road. I mean, until only a few years back, we couldn't do what we're doing now. Uh, there was no AeroPress. There was no French press at some stage. There was no... So hopefully, the, maybe that's the next challenge. Maybe someone to find a way to fight the some coffee market. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, and I think education is going to play a big role, uh, but it's how it's done education. It has to be quick. It has to be accessible. It has to be fun. It has to be through social media without making it overcomplicated and without putting a barrier between us and consumers, where they're going to be like, oh, that's a hipster, fancy coffee. Fuck that. You know? like yeah. they, need, they, need, they need to make it um, approachable. Coffee should always Perfect. be approachable. Um, and I have an issue with any kind of person that makes it unapproachable. But, uh, yeah, they do need to make it accessible and approachable to, to, <laughs> to capture the market. That's not us. Because we are not you the can market. Still, you can still enjoy playing football without being Ronaldo, going back to the football coffee re relevant. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you can have the full-on, you know, people with all the fancy equipment, all the fancy things making their coffee. That's okay. But you can also have more basic, accessible. We were talking about tasting notes recently, and I really want to hurry because it's only uh, four minutes left. And it was very interesting because... I was talking about it with Hugh on how complex we're making it is all tasting notes. And I think we should have beginner level tasting notes, mid and advanced. Because if you give someone who just started on drinking filter coffee and you start talking about uh, Coca-Cola bourbon with a hint of uh, uh, Fijoa tasting <laughs> coffee, you're scaring the fuck out of them. Yeah, right. I um, I couldn't agree more. I making that 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 language that barrier is is, is so important. I, I used to work for a roaster who would write things like, 
you know, grandmother's Granny Smith apple pie. And I'm like, no one's tasted your fucking grandmother's Granny Smith apple pie. Like, if you have green apple, brown sugar, berries. It's it's an easy, approachable language. And people go, oh, cool. Um, yeah, and then, yes, you know, when we get into the, 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 the higher-end stuff, you can have, you know, a little more information into what kind of berries, you know, blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, whatever. Um, but... Right. Yeah. Whenever I used to sell roasted coffee, you know, retail bags, I'd say, yeah, you know, it's sweet, chocolatey, nutty. And they'd be like, thank you. Take it back home. I think that's fantastic. I think that we, we should cut back. And look, I get it. It's a marketing exercise. I get it. It's an attraction. I get it. It, it plays a role in looking cool. But I think it looks cooler if the consumer at the end tastes it, reads it, and is like, oh, yeah, I get that. Yeah. Instead of because I've heard this question many times. Oh, do you put blueberries in your cold brew because you're saying it tastes like blueberries? And you're like, no, it's this, you know, we get to this with the will of flavor and, you know, you start explaining. So I think a more approachable even in the terminology for the entry level, because it's like if I walked in a studio of karate and fight against a black belt, how the fuck am I supposed to get karate? Like, let's be real. Anyway, we're approaching the tail end and we know that it's cutthroat here on Instagram. What's next on David's Planet? And before you answer, thank you for hopping on. I really appreciate it. I think this conversation was so diverse and so insightful uh, compared to all the others. And I really hope that a lot of people will tune in later to rewatch an IGTV, YouTube podcast and whatnot, because I think there's a lot of value. But what's next in your planet? And you've got probably about 90 seconds. <laughs> uh, well, firstly, cheers for having me. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, I guess next on my planet is, in my immediate planet is to, I've only recently relocated to, to Adelaide, South Australia, literally two days before the borders shut. So with COVID kind of, or not, not COVID, I should say, with the restrictions changing, um, getting a chance to kind of really enjoy the city a little bit more, I guess the sort of the, the, the cafes, the, the roasters, the, the, the whatever. Um, and then just try and focus on um, trying to get a little bit healthy again. I've, I've sort of let myself go a little bit. That's okay. Um, and then, yeah, I guess uh, potentially think about coffee competition if it's ever going to happen. Um, but maybe, Hopefully soon. Yeah, um, I'm more of a, you know, cliche, almost a day by day kind of person. I, I, I do appreciate the the things that I have right now, and and I want to, you know, make sure that I keep that going. And I want to nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah, sort of the, just spend some time with my family, my friends, and and, and my loved ones, and and that's, just, that's fantastic. Fun. And I think. <laughs> I think you, you, you answer very well in terms of, I think those are very essential things. Essential has been such a buzzword around this time. And I think those are very essential things. And, and I think you will. And look, I really hope that the next time you pop up in Melbourne, we'll, we'll catch up for a brew. Maybe it's not just for comp, but if you ever come oh, in Melbourne, hit me I up. Will, yeah, I mean, my, my head office is still in Melbourne. I'll be there whenever I'm allowed to cross the border without being quarantined, really. Hopefully um, soon. Yeah, yeah, me too, actually. I've still got some stuff I need to pick up. <laughs> um, but yeah, it'd be great to catch up. Um, look, David, thank you so much for hopping on. Thanks for giving us your time. It was good fun. Maybe we should do this again in a month or two 
to cigarettes. And uh, yeah, man, thank you again for popping in. I really appreciate it, buddy. Look after yourself. You too, man. Um, there you have it, guys. Uh, we got 20 seconds left from this cutthroat timer from Instagram. Uh, big shout out. Bruce Ashing, sorry for not answering your last question. Thank you for all the amazing questions that you've sent through. Mila, Ayob, Nick, uh, and all the people who are still here. Tanti, you all mean the word to me. So hopefully uh, we'll see you soon.